Moon Knight hits Disney Plus just after Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist add a hard R to the streaming service's MCU. Obi-Wan Kenobi is, as Axel Foley would say it, deep, deep, deep undercover as we enter the final stretch in the lead-up to the most anticipated Star Wars moment in decades. Man on Reel's own Arterius Maximus is primed for his next fateful battle with the enemy he can't seem to escape, the dreaded and oh-so-popular multiverse. And last but not least, what could be the most idiosyncratic mainstream comic book film in the modern era has just become available on HBO Max. So, in honor of the fact that many of you will be seeing The Batman for the first time, we're taking this opportunity to break out our list of the top five Batman movies of all time. This is Matt Unreal, episode 46. Let's go. Matt Unreal. This is Arthur. That is Isaac. And it is April. Uh, all kinds of stuff is waking up in, in Arizona. <laughs> April scorpions. 2022. Yeah. I haven't seen a scorpion yet, but scorpions, snakes. The nice thing, though, is that I have quail and bunny rabbits in my backyard because I've got, I've got actual grass. <laughs> Me and my neighbors have turf. <laughs> actual grass. So mm. I am the, uh, my yard serves as the, as the uh, morning and evening buffet. <laughs> it's good to know you're still a nature lover, Arthur. Arthur yeah, loves the nature, hates the multiverse, but loves well, nature. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But before we get to that, Moon Knight. Mm. Moon Knight is on Disney Plus, uh, a series. I think are they doing how many shows are they doing? Six, eight? Um, I think it's a six episode. Let me see. I believe it's six episode limited yeah. series because they got. Oscar Isaac major um, movie star, so I think that they're limited to what they're doing. Yeah, six. I'm looking at it six. now. Six, yeah. Okay. We're three episodes in. Uh, the series starring Oscar Isaac as Mark Spencer slash Stephen V. Grant um, and the main hero, Moon Knight. Uh, also, Ethan Hawke, who plays the antagonist, uh, Arthur Harrow. Uh, May Calumway. Who is? Wait, wait. Yeah, you uh, messed that uh, up. Flower. Wait, yeah, yeah. Maui, <laughs> I, I wasn't. Even, I'm surprised. I give you credit for trying. Kalamaui. You want to? You want to say Callaway, but it's not because it's Kalamaui. Even close. Kalamaui. All right, Kalamaui. I got it. Okay. May Kalamaui, uh, who plays Marlene? No. Well, it's okay. Let me get to this. She plays Layla L. Fauli, mm-hmm. um, who is. Mark Spencer's Spectres. Is it Spectre or Spencer? Spectre. <laughs> There's so many. Listen, there, no, don't cut that out. There's so many. Um, I mean, this series deals with. Uh, it's not multiple. It's not multi personality. What's it called? Dissociative disorder, I believe. Dissociative disorder. Yeah. Right. So it deals with that, and there's so many people floating around, and just you know, it is, it is hard to keep track. But yeah, it's Mark Spectre. I, I, I kind of think that was my autocorrect. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, but, Mark, that's, um, but she, but I think you're alluding to the fact that she in the comics, she was a different character, right? Marlene yeah, something. Uh huh. Um, Marlene Al R A U N E Round. 
Alron, Marlene Alron. Let's go yeah. with that until I'm corrected. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I am sensitive to pronouncing names correctly, so please, I don't want to. I don't want to get that wrong. Should we? But you know what, though, that's this is a good point, though, to start. Do you have? Because I personally, I am aware, obviously, of Moon Knight from the comics. Mm-hmm. I never collected Moon Knight. I read some Moon Knights here and there sporadically. I admired the artwork, especially by Bill Sienkiewicz. Um, but I never, you know, I, I never dove into Moonlight too deeply. Do you? How much? How much Moonlight lore do you know about? How much did you bring into the series? All of nothing. I'd never mm-hmm. heard of Moon Knight before. You had never even heard of him before. Okay, wow, mm-hmm. wow. The, you know, you know. The, I, 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 I want to say that I had a reference based on the Avengers, mm-hmm. but I, I wouldn't stake an argument on that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I just when I was researching for this episode to get some information on the history of the comic, and I saw that there was an there was an Avengers affiliation. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, okay, 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 okay. But then it was like, uh, it's so thin. Mm-hmm. I just, I can't, I, you know, I can't be confident. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an interesting point though, because a lot of people, you know, for, and we'll get into this, I think in a few minutes, but for these Disney plus series, they're getting more and more into the weeds and like introducing characters. People have never heard them. You know, the mainstream has never even heard yeah. of them. Cause it's one thing to say we're doing a, um, Falcon and Winter Soldier series because if you know anybody who's you know watched any of this you know who saw Infinity War or Endgame, um, or Civil War you know any of these Avengers movies they're at least somewhat familiar with um, you know on the fringe at least with uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier um, maybe even with Scarlet Witch but mm-hmm. to say or Loki of course but to say you know to come out the box with a Moon Knight series it is kind of one of the first times where it's a character a lot of people just probably have never even heard of. So I think that, I think that's good. You know, I welcome it. I, I, I think it's, well, I mean, interesting for lack of a better word that Disney plus wants to do a series on this particular character. And I wonder if a, a reason for that is because of the, the popularity and the prowess of Batman on the DC side of things. Um, knowing that the character, certainly in the comic book mm-hmm. series, um, there is there are some sharp similarities mm-hmm. to Bruce Wayne and Batman. Um, one being to that, Bruce Wayne and, and Mark and Mark Spector, yeah, that's mm-hmm. yeah. Well, yeah, well, just the duality of 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 Bruce Wayne, billionaire playboy, you know, Batman, Dark Knight as a side hustle. Mm-hmm. And Stephen <laughs> V. Grant, who is supposed to have been a billionaire in the comics, mm-hmm. and he is, you know, Moon Knight or Mister Knight, depending on the uniform. But yeah, I mean the 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 Avengers and the X Men to a degree. It was almost like there was just this. It was like they were posse's, so you could just sort of like throw characters in there and give them an association. Um, such that the fan base would accept them, you know, uh, I mean, almost like, you know, 80s hip hop, you know, you had Juice Crew. (laughs) Right. He part of the crew, right. (laughs) You know, it's like, no, I never heard of Master Ace, but he's Juice Crew. All right. Yeah. Craig G. Cool. I mean, all right. I'll listen. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so going into this, I mean, it's like I said, it's a good thing, but I think it also presents a, a little bit of an issue for 
a lot of people. So you get, and I think obviously that's one of the reasons you get Oscar Isaac for this. You got a character mm-hmm. that a lot of people have probably never heard of. So you need that, you know, big that movie weight, star, that star name, yeah, to, mm-hmm. to bring start bringing people into this. So what did you think of the first, the very first episode? Let's let's just look at that for a second before we start talking about the entire series. What did you think of the first episode? Um, this because this is your introduction, not just to the show, but to the yeah. character of Moon Knight. So th- the first episode, I was I was I was pretty indifferent. I I I was intrigued less by the teleporting, which mm-hmm. seemed to be teleporting of Stephen Grant uh, to different locations, um, and not knowing why or how we get there, well, how he got there. Um, I was really intrigued by you know, him waking up and he ties himself to his bed mm-hmm. because he, as he feels is a habitual sleepwalker and doesn't want to endanger himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got this job at uh, a museum and he has an expertise in Egyptology. Um, but he's all but a buffoon. And I I did not it took a while for me to kind of invest myself with Stephen mm-hmm. because I, I the way I felt the show was being portrayed I felt that it was being portrayed as you the viewer having some semblance of a backstory of Moon of Moon Knight mm. mm. going into it cold I I I really put up a front over how I thought they were going to handle Egypt, the the god hierarchy, and you know the 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 trope of discovering an Egyptian treasure, and now you're going into the Great Pyramid, and you know all of that. Is it is that to say that you think they didn't handle? introducing this character to people who had never heard of him before well are you is that what you're saying you think that they could have done a better a a better job of like ingratiating people like you to this character um the latter yeah Mm -hmm. i think they could have Mm -hmm. um the open was great where where ethan hawk as arthur harrow you're introduced to harrow first right and you know you see his scale tattoos i mean he wakes up he puts his feet he breaks glass he breaks like a couple glasses and mm-hmm. puts the shards in his sandals and steps in it and walks with a cane. It was like, ooh, what's going on? So, you know, you, 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 they kind of got the, the intrigue, mm-hmm. you know, right. But it was the follow-up with Grant that was so thin. I don't know if it would have been better to introduce Mark Spector first as sort of a, uh, a counterweight mm-hmm. to the presentation of, of, of Harrow. Um, that might have helped me a little more since Spectre certainly knows Harrow and vice versa, mm-hmm. as opposed to Grant, who is just discovering the meaning behind these, you know, what he probably perceives as, as nightmares. So, so at the time of this recording, we're three episodes in. So now three episodes in, do you feel... In four episodes, by the time this episode, by this, by the time this podcast airs, everybody will be four episodes in. But just based on the first three episodes now, do you feel like you have a better, you know, the initial kind of um, 
the feel, the way you felt in the first episode has that been balanced out by these these last two episodes. In other words, you have a fuller scope of the story now, obviously. Sure. So sure. is that are you more engaged or are you since some of those mysteries have been solved, are you less engaged? Uh um well honestly the jury is still out. I think the Layla character did a lot to bring me not necessarily up to speed, but kind of bring me into the story more. Mm-hmm. Um because I feel that she's the one that's kind of driving the plot right now. Yeah. And by the way, spoiler alerts. We I don't know if we said that in the cold open or not, but spoiler alerts for all of Moon Knight's first three episodes. Like I said, we haven't we haven't seen the four. Uh, excuse me, we haven't seen the fourth episode by the time this airs. But definitely spoiler alerts for the first three episodes if you haven't seen them. I think there's the right amount of 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 action. Um, some of the fight sequences are pretty good. You know, there there there's a there's enough intrigue to keep that keeps the story moving. Mm-hmm. Um, but Arthur Harrow as uh, a cult leader still kind of hits those same notes. Very specifically, the the movie with Brendan Fraser, The Mummy, mm-hmm. and how the resurrection of the mummy, um, um, Imhotep, you know, has this 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 zombie cult, you know, who does his bidding and and all of that. And you know, I get those kind of vibes. Mm-hmm. With uh, with Hera, um, who is the former avatar of the god Khonshu, whom mm-hmm. Mark Spector is the current avatar for. Um, is it fair to call it a cult? Do you think? Do you think it's? I mean, is it a cult? Is a sometimes a very subjective term, but do you just in your 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 point of view is it fair to call Hera's people? Is it a cult? Because they have they have an actual god, you know mm-hmm. they have proof. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. they have mm-hmm. actual proof of this of this god yeah. that they worship, um, or you know that they they are trying to resurrect at this point. Um, they definitely have actual proof of Kanchu. You know they, Hera mm-hmm. has proof of all these gods. The gods of mm-hmm. this uh, I forgot the name of the the, the group that um, Stephen uh, describes in episode one, um, but basically like you know the Juice Crew, the Juice Crew of gods. You know they right. have, they have proof of this and they follow these this these gods and this particular god i met the one they're trying to um to resurrect so mm-hmm. is, it, is it fair to call them a cult or is this just a religion or is it even more than religion is it a is it a something even you know there's no because a lot of this is not on faith a lot of this is on actual i've seen this dude stick something in the ground and you know it actually happened so a lot of it's not on just the faith well i think it's fair to call it a cult I mean, if you want to say that a cult is a group of people who follow an individual based on the the blessings and inherit and inherited power of that individual solely, mm-hmm. and what they perceive their benefit will be from that individual, and I think you got a cult. So, as so it's more to, about them following Hero instead of them following uh, Ahmet. Yep. Okay. All right. I, I think yep. that's fair. Yep. So let me let me ask you though, this series because I I, I kind of have I almost had a different reaction than you. To mm-hmm. me, episode one is by far the best, and I, mm-hmm. I thought the mm-hmm. intrigue mm-hmm. and the kind of you know WTF of it, you know what's going on, you know why mm-hmm. is this guy? I knew a little bit more about it because like I said I have some familiarity with the comics, but I'm not a 
I'm not a Moon Knight head, so I don't know a lot about him other than some a lot of stuff. You know, obviously I read before the right before the series premiere, and I wanted to kind of get a little bit more background. But mm-hmm. going so going into this episode, there's a lot I didn't know, and seeing him, seeing Stephen Grant, um, just in mass confusion. To me, it was more that was that was interesting because I, you know, it just there was a mystery to be solved, you know. Yeah. And to see at the end, I thought the end of the episode was excellent. I thought, you know, him being chased in that bathroom, mm-hmm. seeing mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. reflections, um, one of those reflections, you know, turning and talking to him, um, which we find out is Mark Spector, the you know, the I guess the kind of the mm-hmm. prime, you know, the prime personality. Um, seeing him, you know, tell Steven, listen, you know, I can do this. I can save our lives, you know, and this, that, you know, that creature is just like tearing up the museum and the, the way they presented that creature for a moment, it was like a horror flick, you know, it was, yeah. it was, um, it was, there was a little bit of terror there, you know, you didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and I thought it was shot excellently. There's this one scene. I know you guys always tease me, like say, you know, I don't like horror movies, which I don't, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. there's some moments in quote unquote horror movies that I think are really, um, interesting because it didn't scare me i just thought it was cool and that was the scene where he's um steven is being stalked by that creature but he hasn't seen the creature yet and he's looking around and then we as a viewer see in the background just the eyes of the creature the glowing Mm -hmm. eyes appear Mm -hmm. and then the creature just takes off you know and i was Mm -hmm. like "Ooh, that that was cool as hell so i like that and then the best part about it to me was that when he finally um, gives possession or, you know, he tells Mark, okay, you take the body, I'll, you know, I'll do what you say. Mark takes over the body and brings out the suit. You know, he brings out Moon Knight. Yeah. And he transforms into Moon Knight, Moon Knight. And the creature comes into the bathroom and jumps on him literally as he just starts to transform. So for a split second, we don't know what's going to happen. Did he, mm-hmm. you know, we assume he transformed in time or did he get you know, massively injured or what, you know, what's going on. The next thing you see, the creature itself is trying to get the hell out of that bathroom. (laughs) The creature, the creature is just like, cause this creature was so aggressive before that point. Right. It was just like, you know, it was almost presented itself as like this unstoppable thing, man. When he was trying to get out that bathroom, he's like scraping the floor, trying to get the hell out. I laughed. I thought it was hilarious. And then you see like, you imagine you don't really see it, but you imagine Moon Knight has like grabbed him by the legs and just dragged him back into this bathroom mm-hmm. and is beating the tar out of this thing. You know, mm-hmm. that's when he's mm-hmm. kicking it, giving it a stomp, you know, and then kicking it and then uh then hitting it. And then he turns and it's like that was a great reveal to me. And I was like, oh, shit, this series is about to be off the chain. It's like it felt like because I did Marvel and Kevin Feige. They've talked about how this series is going to be different. It's going to be more brutal. You know, it's going to mm-hmm. be more grounded. Um, mm-hmm. so on and so forth more like you know because like you said it is Moon Knight's origins from a Marvel perspective have to do with Marvel I guess felt they needed an answer to Batman back in the 70s they needed something of that ilk on their side yeah. um, and that's you know one of the reasons they created Moon Knight but that you know I think they were talking to that a little bit when they were speaking about how this series is going to be different than other um, Marvel MCU content mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that, that reveal in that episode one I thought okay here we go you know, this is going to be, that's what this is going to be like. And it's like, I was, I was excited, but I have to say, man, the next couple episodes, I just, it was diminishing returns for me. I really was, I, I started to lose interest by the end of, by the middle of episode three, I was kind of like watching, but thinking about other things almost. Um, it seems to me that 
you know, there is some things I find interesting, you know, the whole Egypt, Egyptology and the, the, um, the lore and the, the religion and the, um, the cult and the, um, uh, just, just the mystery of it all, you know, the history, all those things I think are, are very interesting to me. And they die, they touch into, they touch on those things, but with the actual presentation of Moon Knight, it just started to feel more like just more superhero stuff. Like just like, for instance, I don't know what his abilities are. You know, they Mm -hmm. haven't even talked about what can this do? What can he do? I see, I can kind of see some of the stuff he can do, Mm -hmm. but it's like, okay, he seems to be invincible for one thing. Is that, is he invincible? Does he have super strength? Does he, is the agility, you know, it's like, it's almost as if he's been presented because like on the second episode, I think he's running across the rooftops or something. And um, then I think in the third episode, he's in that ring, you know, fighting the dudes on the horses. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, I don't feel like I know Moon Knight. You know, I feel like Stephen Grant is the one I know, the character I know the best. Then Mm -hmm. I know a little bit about Mark Spector. I got a little bit of him. Moon Knight himself. And, you know, they presented uh, Mr. Knight, the dude that, that's in a three piece suit. Yeah. Steven, right. when, he, when he becomes what he thinks is Moon Knight. Um, and I can, I've seen online people who are real Moon Knight head, Moon Knight heads are upset about that because evidently Mr. Knight was very different in the comics. Um, but I feel like Moon Knight himself, I just, I don't know what that hero character, or whatever, I don't know what he is, you know, and I don't feel connected to him at all. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, that's, and again, we got three more episodes. I do agree with you that um, Layla is definitely very interesting. I find her, I find her and Steven to be the most interesting characters Mm -hmm. and together, like in the third episode, when Steven comes out for a second and he kind of looks at her um, and they have a moment, you can Mm -hmm. see that there's a connection that she has with, that she potentially could have with Steven that she doesn't have with Mark because Mark is too guarded and he's too much of a mercenary basically. Um, So that's, that's interesting to me. But overall, I mean, let me, those are, I mean, so again, I kind of differ from you, from your reaction, but let me ask you, this is, this is year two of these MCU Disney mm-hmm. plus shows. Mm-hmm. You and I have had a lot of conversations on this show about those shows. Where do you think we are? What is so far? It's, it's not fair to judge it in its totality because it's not done yet. But in these first three episodes, how are you feeling about um, what Moon Knight is doing for the MCU Disney Plus, you know, um, I don't want to call it an experiment, but expansion. Yeah. You know, is it is it a step forward, a step sideways, a step backwards? What is it? Well, I do think it's a step forward in that they're introducing characters that aren't necessarily known. And just because I haven't heard of it doesn't mean that the mass populace hasn't either. So much as I do believe that, you know, I represent a group of the audience that has never heard of Moon Knight and is coming to it on the strength of the previous MCU television shows on Disney Plus, um, as well as the star power of Oscar Isaac. And even intriguing for me was that F. Murray Abraham is the voice of, you know, Khonshu. I mean, they've got kind of a heavyweight cast. I love, I love Khonshu, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Every time he shows up and yeah, F. Murray Abraham, his voice is per and whatever they're doing to it digitally, however they're enhancing it is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I guess, I guess I worry about if Marvel is going to be almost hellbent in connecting all of these stories and characters together. Cause I don't necessarily think that they work. I mean, I made the juice crew analogy where, you know, you had 
Big Daddy Kane and Bismarcky as the sort of the Iron Man, uh, Captain America, mm-hmm. you know, line of it, you know. And then you also had, you know, Craig G and Master Ace who, you know, heavyweights in their own ilk, but, you know, it's their Ant-Man. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it's Apolog- it's like apologies to anybody who's not a Gen X um, <laughs> hip hop fan. <laughs> completely lost right now. You listen to Arthur, and it's like he, you have no idea what he's talking about. But yeah, apologies to you. But yes, go ahead, Gen X hip hop man. <laughs> you know, but you're not always going to be able to make these 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 connections because the stories don't necessarily meet given what time frame that they live in and prelude to the multiverse conversation. I, I did hear a rumor, though, just to touch on that really quickly, that this may be taking place. Because for those who don't know, in the Marvel Universe, comics universe, they have what's called, this, I think this, I think it's called the 616, which is the main universe. Like, that's the one mm-hmm. that everybody's familiar with. That's where most of the stuff that we all kind of know as Marvel lore, that's where it happens. And assume, presumably, that's where all the, the first, what, um, 10 years of the MCU, that's where it took place. Mm-hmm. But there's a rumor that now they're starting to splinter off and have, you know, different things happen in these different these other universes within the multiverse. And that maybe um, this Moon Knight series is taking place in one of those other universe where maybe the Avengers exist. Maybe they don't. You know, maybe mm-hmm. just certain heroes exist. You know, who knows? Maybe Thanos happened. Maybe Thanos never happened. I think that in one of these episodes, there was something of Moon Knight. The first three episodes, something alluded to the fact like something in the background alluded to the fact that um this the the blip you know did happen um there as well but mm-hmm. who knows um but you, i think you make a good point you know it's like are we going to you know because you got movies now you have all these tv series for someone who just wants to step in are they going to have to you know feel like they need to be connected to everything or is this just something i can you know enjoy in and of itself and then we yeah. also have the the netflix uh, marvel shows just hit uh as you mm-hmm. as you as you mentioned in the cold opening um, Daredevil, Jessica Jones at all. They have now appeared on, um, Disney plus. And so right. that adds another layer, you know, is that did they, you know, are they going to say that, and, you know, Daredevil was in no way home. So it's like, is that, did that happen in the six one six universe or is that some other, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. this could all get very confusing very quickly if it hasn't already. So I think you make a good point. And, you know, and to be fair, you can't, every story can't be based on some connection to Captain America. I mean, you can't keep retelling these 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 stories it, it you know it gets old it gets it can get boring it can get redactive and 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 uh or reductive rather and um you need you know new stories new audiences and new reasons you know to watch mm-hmm. so um i mean i believe that it's still early very early and we'll just have to see um but um they're you know they're definitely giving giving a full on effort into making quality programs mm-hmm. with these shows. Yeah, I think maybe this would be another a topic for another show because at this point I feel I do agree with you, but I feel also more a la carte than anything. I feel like I'm mm-hmm. starting mm-hmm. to, you know, because those those first ten years of the MCU it did feel like oh I can you know there's only two or three movies coming out per year you know and i can watch yeah. all of these you know and and get right. engaged and everything whereas now with all the content coming out i do start to feel like it's are they are they um intentionally making it so you don't have to watch everything and you can start watching the things that you enjoy um and then leave the other things there again a la carte you know and i, I yeah. i'm starting to feel that way cuz there's a lot you know we talked about it there's a lot of parts of um 
Loki, I just, you know, I really didn't engage with. There's parts of uh, um, WandaVision where it started mm-hmm. out very, to me, very intriguing. Then I kind of started to lose interest as it started to ramp up into what I felt, you know, again, subjectively was more of a um, big superhero showdown, you know, mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. something different, you know, something I was waiting, something I was more interested in seeing. So, and again, I've made this analogy before on the show. When you walk into a comic book store, you don't buy every book that's on the shelf. You know, you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you kind of pick and choose. You go your pool list or whatever you do is is based on your interests. So I think at some point, yeah, maybe Kevin Feige and crew are kind of looking at this like saying we don't have to. You know, we can't presume that everybody is going to watch everything. Yeah, the diehard comic book heads, MCU fans, they're going to watch all of this stuff. But mm-hmm. if we want this thing to last, maybe we create it in a way that people can kind of pick and choose. So people who watch Moon Knight, maybe that'll be like one of their favorite shows per year, but they don't watch any other MCU content. You know, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting. Well, before we move on, just to close, I, I do want to know, you know, did you did you expect to see more darker skin people of color? Yes. In expect or want? Two different things. Expect or want? Expect. Expect, I don't know. Want, yes. Because... Mm-hmm. Dealing with Egyptology, I believe that's a word. I hope it's a word. And um, the things that, you know, this type of, again, the religion, religious aspect and the lore of everything of North Africa, um, you know that there are going to be, um, it has it has a deeply, is deeply rooted in some of the, uh, uh, of Arab culture. So, you know, that mm-hmm. people of that skin tone are going to show up. But right. what really bothered me, man, what really kind of threw me off was in episode three, when they go visit um, Mark and Harrow go visit. They have, they, they basically hold court with the gods. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have all this, you know, again, not to make light of it, but you have the juice crew of gods up there. Right. And mm-hmm. they have their, the gods have their avatars. And mm-hmm. so of all those avatars, I saw one brown skin person, one mm-hmm. person of darker about my skin tone or darker, you know, and everybody else was around your skin tone or lighter. You know, I right. know viewers don't can't see me and Arthur, but Arthur's famous. You know what his skin tone is. Um, so so <laughs> that that threw me off. And the primary speakers, I think, were three. I think it was two men and one woman or one woman or maybe it was three men. But it was three primary mm-hmm. people who were doing most of the speaking as, you know, from the God side. Mm-hmm. And then you had an auxiliary person um, who was drop dead gorgeous, by the way. What was her name? Uh she played the goddess of um, love or something like that. Um, yeah. Let me see. Of course, I'm not going to be able to find her. Oh, here here she is. She played Hathor. Um, Diana Bermudez, Bermudez portrays Yatsil, the avatar mm-hmm. of the Egypt. So Diana Bermudez, I hope I'm saying her name correctly. Um, her, I mean, and we're talking about colorism here. So not necessarily talking about um, culture or, you know, um, or strictly, you know, racial backgrounds. We're talking about the actual color of people's skin. And that's, that's important too, when you're looking at a screen that you see certain things. And Mm -hmm. she, she was a darker skinned person. Um, but the, the primary speakers were all, you know, they, they looked European to me and they, or they Mm -hmm. looked, you know, at, at, at best European with some Arab influence, maybe, um, and I'm not speaking at all to these these people to these actors because I don't know their racial their ethnicities at right. all. But I'm just saying how but they think, present on the screen in terms of you know the color of their skin. Yeah. And so when you're talking about something like that, you expect you know that's it's it's kind of troubling to see all this lore being presented 
um, through that lens. And, you know, Mark and Harrow and, you know, all these people who have lighter skin tones, you know, and I'm you looking at this like, where are the dark skinned, darker skinned people? Why aren't they mm-hmm. being, you know, mm-hmm. as to use the word of uh, de jour, why aren't they being represented? Yeah. Um, what did you think? I mean, I don't have much to add. I mean, I yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, want. Yes. Expect. No. Um, I appreciate that Oscar Isaac gets cast as as the lead. I mean, given that uh, he has a Guatemalan Cuban uh, parentage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, though, most people equate Egypt. It is an Arab nation. But the the history is pure African, and the absence of that in this story, if you're trying to make mm-hmm. something that is different and more uh, real in an unreal context, I think mm-hmm. you do need to introduce those known concepts you know, into, into Mm -hmm. the story. Um, so it's just, you know, it's unfortunate. Yeah. And we're also dealing with Hollywood's perception of Egypt, which has always been, how can we make these people look as European as possible? You know, that's, that's been their, their goal since we talked about it on SOF a couple of years ago, I think on snobs on film, I believe we talked about, um, uh, Cleopatra. Um, I can't remember what episode or what was why we even got into it, but we talked about Cleopatra and uh, Elizabeth Taylor and, you know, all those things going back. I think it was the Denzel. Denzel effect. Um, what was the, the Denzel episode? effect. Yeah, the Denzel effect episode. Um, so, yeah, that's that's troubling. And so I just looked up Diana Bermudez um, and she is of indigenous background here and mm-hmm. here on this continent. So she is of indigenous, quote unquote, American heritage. Um so yeah, she you had, you had her, you had a, a a sister on there who's like I said uh, darker brown skin, but then outside of that, from what I saw, I didn't freeze frame everything, but from what I saw, you just had um, very very light skinned, um, yeah, uh, semi European looking people, and that again, like you just said, that's that's when you're when you're dealing with um, African things that are deeply rooted in African culture, especially things that go back thousands and thousands and thousands of years prior to any Europeans even stepping foot on this continent. Um, you expect to see more when you said, oh, these are the, again, the juice crew of these gods and mm-hmm. here are their avatars. It's like, well, mm-hmm. really? <laughs> really? So very disappointing. So let's move on. Um, but I, I, just to end, close out on that, I do, I look, I am going to watch the next three episodes. I do hope that they can get back to that first episode, which I think the first episode was the only one so far that's been written by the, um, the guy who created the show. Um, so I'm not sure if that you know if he'll come back and write more episodes. I'm not sure how much weight that has on um, what we Tell saw Jeremy later. Slater? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think he wrote the first episode, so which to me again is by far the best episode. So we'll see. Um, but moving on, what is the next topic on Madden Real Monthly? Obi Wan Kenobi, the return of Ewan McGregor. Who is your favorite? Who's your favorite Jedi? Have I ever asked you that? Who's your of the of the of the uh, you know Yoda. the Republic, Yoda. the old school Jedi. Yoda. Who's your favorite Jedi? Mm-hmm. Yoda. Okay, all right. Mm. With all his errors, with Absolutely. all his flaws. Absolutely. 
I will say my Yoda, my favorite, some of my favorite Clone Wars is the are those lost episodes, I believe, of the penultimate season, or I don't even know if it's the penultimate season anymore because yeah. they did another season. Um, but that season, you remember, there was like three episodes where Yoda goes off on that yep. vision quest, you know, and fate that. I thought that was just, it was so excellent because he really, he fails mm-hmm. miserably um, several times. Um, but you really get a lot of insight into why, you know, Yoda is Yoda, even though, um, even when he fails. So, um, but yeah, side note. Side All right. Note. So this is, I mean, to say that this is an anticipated series is really an understatement. Um, so much has been built up on, um, for this expectation for this show. Um, you know, it's, it's, you have to wonder, can it live up to the hype? Um, and can we as fans truly be satisfied given that there's absolutely no way that this can live up to, you know, our expectation. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you ask the question and you're like, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> can it live up to the hype? There's no way it's going to live up to the hype. <laughs> Okay. All right. Next, next topic. <laughs> right. We can just move on. Um, right. We can but, move so, on. okay. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, this is a series that presumably is going to track his years on Tatooine as he watches over a young Luke Skywalker. Um, but the Jedi are still being hunted. Mm-hmm. So the empire is still after them. So we're going to get mm-hmm. introduced to some new characters and some new plot points. Um, what I'm most interested in seeing is if there are any connections between what's going to happen in this series with what has happened in the appearance of Kenobi in both um, Star Wars Rebels when he mm-hmm. uh, reengages with Darth Maul. Um, but even with, um, things that happen in the Clone Wars series, if some of those characters Mm -hmm. are going to crop up, um, yeah. And spoiler for, uh, clone, all of Clone Wars, spoiler, spoiler alert for all of Rebels, um, and everything Star Wars has happened (laughs) until April of 2022, uh, just back up. Can it, you know, we, we laugh, but can this pay off, you know, the weight that's been placed on his shoulders? Can it live up to the hype? Yes and no. I think so. I think at this point with Star Wars fans, man, nothing is going to, for a certain segment, nothing is going to live up to the hype. And then for a certain segment, everything is going to go beyond the hype, you know? So it's like, it's just, it's very, I mean, everything, it's almost cliche at this point to say something Star Wars is divisive because everything mm-hmm. seems to be divisive. Um, and with something like this, you're really diving into some very treasured history, some very treasured lore, as far as there's so much put into that line in um, the original Star Wars film, when Obi-Wan says to Vader, or Vader says to Obi-Wan, you know, and I'm paraphrasing because I'm I'm not one of those Star Wars cast that can remember the lines. Mm -hmm. But when he says to him, basically, you know, last time we met, I was just a pupil, you Mm -hmm. were the master, you Mm -hmm. know, blah, blah, blah. Presumably making us think, okay, he's talking about when they fight on Mustafar and Obi-Wan got in that ass. You know, that's what that's what Mm -hmm. we're thinking. Right. So. But now it's like we we know that Vader's going to be in this this show. So it's like we were all waiting for that showdown. So what does that mean? You know, does that change? How does this 
you know, what is what is this series going to change about what we all kind of hold dear to our hearts? And that's kind of what I think a lot of people approach this with. I guess the question is, how open are you going to be? You know, when you watch this show, how open are you going to be to this? Not necessarily completely changing what you know, but kind of like altering how you perceive, to your point, his last his duel mm-hmm. with Darth Maul. You know, how is it going to change, which we know happens mm-hmm. after this series? How does it change how we think about his relationship with Anakin in the Clone Wars? You know, mm-hmm. the failure that Obi-Wan mm-hmm. endured, you know, or is enduring. Um, how open are we going to be to learning new things about that and not just clinging to what we build up as headcanon, you know, over these, yes. these years and decades? Well, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's um, filler, not not like needless filler, but I mean it fills in the gray areas in the Star Wars story, and um, mm-hmm. John Favreau uh, and Dave Filoni have been very very good at um, what I call fixing what may have been broken in the Lucas trilogy one two three and the J.J. Abrams. Uh, Seven, eight, nine. Those are, those are dangerous <laughs> words you're saying, Arthur. Those are, you know, fixing. That's well, look, dangerous, I mean, man. Because a lot of people don't think it needs to be fixed. A lot of people think it's well, not broken. Yeah, but there are a lot of people that do, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the, just to know that that what we saw in the brilliance of the Clone Wars animated series crept mm-hmm. into storylines of of recent Disney properties. I mean, a highlight from the book of Boba Fett this last season was the appearance of Cad Bane, you know, who was a favorite right. uh, bounty hunter. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, that interaction that we know that he had in the animated series with Fennec Shand. And now here they are reunited mm-hmm. in this live action series and nobody looks goofy. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> right, right. Can it, you know, it, will we see an Ahsoka? Will we hear from Ahsoka in Kenobi? She would be much younger than she is when we saw her in Book of Boba Fett and The Mandalorian, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What is the interaction going to be with Anakin Darth Vader? Are these going to be flashbacks? Are these going to be, you know, force visions? Is there going to be an actual meeting? That's something that's really anticipated. Um, it's it's those kinds of things that I look forward to. Um, and... I I hate to say it this way, but it's like I almost don't care about expanding the narrative. Mm. Give me you know, be, give me the middle because every time that a focus has been put on the middle in Star Wars, for example, the Clone Wars and how that went down, it's been mm-hmm. very very interesting. Mm-hmm. When you say the middle, you mean you're talking about the filler, the parts in between one two three you. the. In four, five, six, the parts between four, five, six, you know, and seven, eight, nine, and mm-hmm. even right after nine, which is where the Mandalorian takes place, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's interesting because with Obi Wan, you know, there's so much to mine. I think in terms of mm-hmm. his psyche, you know, because this he less. I mean, you talk about recovering from an f up. This is the f mm-hmm. up of all f ups. This is like failure on a extreme millions of people are going to die because right. of us level, you know, he and the rest of the Jedi council for years, mm-hmm. for years sat right next to the Sith Lord, 
you know, the Sith, right. the grand, the grand poobah, right. the Sith, you know, the Sith, like, and allow this dude to manipulate mm-hmm. them um, into engaging in a mm-hmm. war in which, you know, thousands and thousands of people died um, and, and years of conflict um, in order to bring about the reawakening, the, 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 the rebirth, if you will, yeah. of the Sith, of the, you know, the Sith supremacy yeah. of the, them ruling the galaxy. And then not only to add insult to injury in order to do that, took your, your mm-hmm. number one, took the person you thought mm-hmm. was going to be the chosen one and brought them over to enable me to reestablish my, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the supremacy and the rule of right. my kind that this is a, this is an effort. I mean, volumes have mm-hmm. already been written, but more volumes could be written on this mm-hmm. supreme F up, you know, that wasn't that this failure from, um, the, the Jedi. And so personally, of course, Obi-Wan feels that, you know, because Anakin mm-hmm. was his brother, you know, that scene. And in, in, I've said it before, man, the scene in revenge of the Sith, when he screams out, you know, I loved you. You were my mm-hmm. brother, all those things that mm-hmm. fucked me mm-hmm. up. You know what I'm saying? That was like one of those star Wars moments where I was like, it really hit me. Cause it was like, they don't, they, you know, the Jedi, they may love, but they don't, they're not supposed to right. hold on to those right. type of attachments. And so to hear Obi-Wan say that, you know, that was just like, it was so powerful. And so he feels this obviously on mm-hmm. a very, very, very deep personal level. And now he has been tasked his only thing in life really to hold on to, um, as he's looking over, he's watching over Luke. Yeah. That's it. You know? And so is that, you know, and he, he the questions that must be in his head, all these things, like I said, he just has so much stuff. There's just so much to, of his psyche to explore and to kind of like provide that filler that you're talking about to say, okay, what happened between revenge of the Sith or excuse me, end of the, the of rebels when we see him mm-hmm. take out Maul. Um, what happens between there and when we see him, you know, um, with Luke in the original mm-hmm. star Wars film, there's so much there, you know, and then there's so much before between rebels and revenge of the Sith, you know, what happened there. And that's the, the yeah. place we're going, you know, that's where we're exploring. So it's like, I'm with you. I'm just, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm open. I'm not so much like, yeah, they got to pay off on this. They got to pay. I would love to see a clone. I would love to see Rex. Sure. You know that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I would love to see Rex. I would love to see, um, um, I would like to see Ahsoka show up. I don't think she is because it's one thing to do Ahsoka um, for them to portray uh, Rosario. Oh God, why is active? Rosario Dawson to do Ahsoka, you know, at basically the yeah. age she is um, mm-hmm. in real life to do her, you know, within the Mandalorian, a book of Boba Fett. But I think to do her as young, I just, you know, that's, that's bringing it way too close to Ashley Eckstein territory is like, I'm just, you know, I, it's hard enough not hearing her voice, you know, but to hear her a different voice in a mm-hmm. young Ahsoka, that'd be even weirder, you know? So it's like, or a young girl mm-hmm. Ahsoka, I should say. So I don't think they're going to do that, but there's a lot of things I want to see. I would say, Arthur, the one thing that I'm just, the only thing I'm really kind of like hesitant about with this series is that fandom, you know, Star Wars fans, especially the mm-hmm. Vader heads, they're so in love with Vader. It's, they've always, they, they've almost made Vader into a hero, right? He's, he's, a, he's a villain, but it's mm-hmm. like they've always, mm-hmm. they, they love him so much, they make him into a hero. And then when you see him in, um, like when in Rogue One and how crazy everybody went over that Rogue One scene um, of him wrecking yeah. havoc at the end, which was, which was, I'm not taking nothing away from him. It was a dope scene. I always point out though, he was going up against a bunch of um, security guards. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? He was, going, uh-huh. he was, he was taking right. out mall right. cops. You know it's, what I'm saying? It's like, 
and everybody like this goes crazy work. over there. I'm like, um, <laughs> yeah, this is this is you know a Padawan could take uh-huh. all them dudes uh-huh. out. You know what I'm saying? So I always have to remind when I get in conversation. I'm like, look, Obi Wan beat this cat twice. You know what I'm saying? He beat him in Mustafar. He beat him in uh, original mm-hmm. Star Wars film. As an mm-hmm. old ass man, mm-hmm. he beat him because he was mm-hmm. he was holding his own. Then he just decided, okay, I'm gonna let you take me out because I'll become mm-hmm. more powerful. So if they do face off in this series, I do have to, I have to admit, I want to see Obi Wan mm-hmm. take him out again. You know what I'm saying? Because Obi Wan, if I said before, Obi Wan is my Kobe, my Kobe Bryant. He's everybody talks mm-hmm. about Jordan. Then they skip mm-hmm. to LeBron. They skip. They they for some reasons like Kobe is great. Mm-hmm. They love Kobe, but they keep talking about him in a different way. Obi Wan is one of the baddest mm-hmm. Jedi's ever. You know, period. And I want to see him school mm-hmm. Vader again. You know, because as bad as y'all think Vader is, Obi Wan has beat him twice. So I want to see him beat him. That's that's the only thing I'm not. I'm kind of not open about. I kind of want to see that. I'll admit that. What about you? Um, yeah, I mean, I can go for another lightsaber battle. Um, really, really good ones are far and few between. And I think the battle on Mustafar was was the greatest uh, on screen lightsaber fight. Um, and I know I, I don't want to sound like a broken record and I know I keep coming back to Ahsoka. Um, but even if you don't see her, it would be an interesting opportunity to see, uh, a live action Kenobi recognize, you know, a, a, a live action Ahsoka, because we've talked about it before Mm. the importance of Ahsoka and how the Jedi council find trying her and finding her guilty of treason and Anakin being the only one to go above and beyond to prove her innocence and proves it. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that they, the Jedi council turned their backs on Ahsoka causing Ahsoka to leave was a destabilizing force in Anakin's life. And, you know, we've, we've, we've kicked around. Wow. If Ahsoka was still around, would he, would he yeah, would she have been side, able to, yeah. you know, to hold him down, so to speak? Um, Do you need to see her and Obi-Wan together or her and Obi-Wan or, or Ahsoka and Vader together or both? Do you need, do you want to see both of those or just her I'd and like to Obi-Wan? see her and Obi-Wan. I'm with you though. I want to see her. I, I didn't even think about that. I, I think that's very powerful to see her, a live action Ahsoka with a live action Obi-Wan is very powerful. So I, I agree with you there. I'm, uh, But I'm with you. I don't necessarily need to see her and Vader because I don't think they're going to top her invader and no i don't think they need to i don't think we need that's like one of my top ever yeah star wars moments was when you know she cracks the helmet cracks and you hear anakin's voice that that, again that effed me up as well so i don't think they're going to top that um but i'm with you that would be really powerful i I do have concerns about yeah very quickly i do have some concerns about how much vader we're going to see because i think i think too much vader is going to spoil the spoil the pop in this case yeah agreed i think there'll be there'll be um um, they will be uh, careful with it because also we we're going to get the Inquisitors. We get the Inquisitors in the trailer. We get a lot of the Inquisitors mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. trailer. One of them is a sister. I forgot her, the character's name, but we get a lot of the uh, the the Inquisitors. So I think that you're going to probably not see Vader. Maybe you'll get flashbacks. We I, I would imagine they're going to save him until the last episode, a couple episodes before they bring him in. And also before we move on, um, let's just acknowledge that this the entire series is being directed yeah. by Deborah Chow. And if you've watched any of the Mandalorian, she knows you what know to do. <laughs> that Deborah Chow is will bring, is bringing it. So that's that's very very encouraging. Also, John Williams coming back mm-hmm. to do the theme music, mm-hmm. you know that's huge. 
Um, so they are, you know, and, and Hayden Christensen, of course, coming back to play Vader. Um, so they are sparing no expense with this. So looking forward to it. All right, let's move on. We're moving. We're kind of like moving towards the headliner of this episode, um, which is the top five Batman films. But before we get there, we have to revisit something that uh, we've been kind of talking about the last few weeks, whether or not we should actually revisit this. But we did name the first part or the first segment of this um, or the first uh, appearance of this segment as part one. Um, Some years, I think it was last year, the year before it was Arthur versus the multiverse part one. Which, of course, denotes that there, there was going to be a part two. Um, it took some time, but Arthur has been in the gym. He's been doing some push-ups, some pull-ups. Um, he's been working out, got his sweat on. So now he is ready um, for round two of his bout with the multiverse. Spurred, I think, by last fall, by the, um, the emergence of Spider-Man No Way Home. Now, before we get into this, let me say, Arthur, you saw yeah. No Way Home. Um, back in the fall, you went to the theater. I was, um, it was like either right before or just on the, the cusp of the, um, the Omicron variant kind of taking over things. So I missed my window and then I wanted to go see it a few weeks later. We were like deep, deep, deep in Omicron. And it was just like, I just Mm -hmm. didn't want to go. So I did not see Spider-Man No Way Home until it hit, um, VOD until his streaming, I think about three weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Um, and I bought it day one <laughs> and watched it and was just like, wow, this is a really, really good movie. This was a really, really good. They did very well with juggling, uh, multiple, multiple kind of like thematic storylines. And then of course, yeah. multiple villains, um, not to mention, oh, and again, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen no way home, um, and spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen the Dr. Strange trailers and is trying to avoid all news about Dr. Strange. Um, but yeah, so in No Way Home, we also got, you know, the moment that kind of stopped my heart and just made me not pay attention for the next 20, mm-hmm. 30 minutes. And that was the the appearance of Matt Murdock um, within No Way Home, uh, which just shocked the hell out of me because I knew he was going to be in the movie, Arthur. But remember, I text you when it happened. I stopped the movie and text you as I was watching it, because as I'm sitting there, I had no it never even occurred to me that he would, that Murdoch would appear within the first, you know, 20 minutes of the film. That just didn't hit me. Mm-hmm. It never even occurred to me. I thought it would be at a post credits or like in a climactic yeah. moment in the a, a moment yeah. of the movie or whatever. <laughs> so it was a really great kind of like, um, even though I knew he was going to be in the film, it still didn't spoil me because I just didn't think he would show up that early. So it was a great moment. All that to be said, you've consumed yes. no way home. So in first in the first round of Arthur versus the Multiverse Part Two, um, and if you haven't heard Arthur versus the Multiverse Part One, go back. It's in our archive. Go back and check it out. When Arthur really outlines all his issues he has with multiverse and multi villain, multiple villains in one film, um, which kind of the same thing, but you know it doesn't always happen. But this one in No Way Home, it was a multiverse issue that brought all these you know other mm-hmm. villains into Peter Parker into mm-hmm. our Peter Parker's mm-hmm. universe. So. Arthur did that film and the way that things played out in that movie and the way things were handled in that movie. Did that dispel your fears or any of your grievances that you've had for years with multiverse, specifically multiple villains in one film? I will say that it calmed it. Uh, But two red flags for me is the story is going to be based in the multiverse and you've got more than one headlining villain in a story because it's, I think that it's hard to manage, and I do feel that more times than not, 
those kinds of things are used as crutches and it ends up going south. Um, I'm looking at you, Spider-Man 3, Tony McGuire, Spider-Man 3. <laughs> is that what is that your original like is that the original scar is that the birth of all your multiverse issues with spider-man 3 sam um well, no actually 3? there were two i mean the sam raimi spider-man 3 was the birth of okay no more than one villain in a film <laughs> i mean if we really want to keep it 100 it's like the batman uh, returns with catwoman and penguin in the same film oh wow wow okay your, your scars go deep bro <laughs> but um deep. That was yeah. a long time And ago. then the multiverse okay. issue, I think I said this uh, in part one, um, was the Flash television series, the, the, the CU Flash series mm. and how they okay. handle the multiverse. Okay. That, that'll wear anybody out. Although I've heard they've done it, to be fair, I've heard they've done it a lot better than the films yeah. have done it. Um, um, the way they but I thought it. that, yeah. I did think that No Way Home was was really good in the way that they handled the multiverse and the way that they handled multiple villains. And I don't think it's any accident that the reason for this was because most of the villains were pretty much locked up in tubes for a good portion mm. of the film. Um, you think that was a narrative technique? Yeah. Narrative, a narrative device to allow them to not let them overwhelm certain parts. Of the yeah. Story I mean, uh, it was the, to me, it's the only way to, to do it. And and you know to where you mm-hmm. that th- that when the when the villains interacted, you know they interacted as team players until it became advantageous to be able to, you know, run, just run their own individual agendas in a collective way and destroying the three Spider Mans that showed up. And they handled three Spider Men at the same time. Mm-hmm. It was it was really well it at was really well time. organized. I mean it was organized like, you know, Infinity War style, you know, and I, I was I was I mm-hmm. was pleasantly pleasantly surprised. I was really glad to have enjoyed enjoyed that movie. Um mm-hmm. but And pacing, I think pacing has a huge amount to do and pacing and the fact that they the narrative device of, you know, yeah, them being locked up was huge. But then also the conceit of why they were there and the fact that if they go back, they will all die. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like that, you know, it tied finding something to tie all these, 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 these villains together and not just being caught up in their disparate, um, you know, uh, grievances or, you know, agendas with Spider-Man himself or, you know, whatever it, it just finding that thing that tied them all together, I think really helped plot wise, you know, cause it is a reason for them to be together. It makes it so that you can see all of them in one room. Right. And, you know, not kind of be scratching your head over over mm-hmm. what's going on. You're all you're with them. You know, you understand there's no confusion, um, so on and so forth. So I, I think all those things work together very well. And, yeah, to your point, um, seeing, you know, uh, I think the way they handled the three Spider-Men, you know, um, and then again, tying them together as well through something, finding mm-hmm. a commonality was very, very good. So they. They doubled down on Sam Raimi's um, thing and and Batman Returns, but they just they handled yeah. it much better. Um, I, I do think and didn't have a problem with it. I do think that um, No Way Home was a gateway to Strange and the upcoming uh, Multiverse of Madness film that's going to come out in May. Um, Strange being the one who creates a tear in t- in the time space to allow these other villains and ultimately the additional 
Spider-Man, the amazing Spider-Man and the original Mm -hmm. Spider-Man from the early 2000s. Um, I think we talked about this before, and this kind of gets into, well, I'm going to say it this way. It gets into the problem that I have with the the multiverse, Mm -hmm. where the relationship between Doctor Strange and Peter Parker. Doctor Strange, Stephen Strange is no Tony Stark. Meaning that the mm-hmm. sort of mentor-mentee relationship that you were seeing building in the beginnings of of um, No Way Home, and also the conclusion of it, mm-hmm. you know, became kind of a Tony Stark, Peter Parker moment where Peter is. Not necessarily looking up to Strange, but recognizing him as, you know, an elder. Um, but Stephen Strange isn't, and he says this, like, you know, I, I, you know, I know we were, you know, fighting on another planet and fighting Thanos and shit, but you, I, I keep forgetting you're just a kid. Which is so key to everything that happens because he, lit- he, he literally he says, because of everything we've mm-hmm. been through. I forget yeah, that you're a kid. That's the quote. Yeah. He's not, he doesn't, Stephen Strange does not have that. Whatever, for you can draw a lot of parallels between Strange and Tony Stark, but for whatever reason, Tony Stark had the ability to recognize the fact from day one that this mm-hmm. is just a kid. You know, in Civil War, he sees, mm-hmm. he says that, you know, after they fight for a while, he's exactly. like, Exactly. No, it's like, you, you're not, you're not ready for this, call. I'm desperate. Here. I need to use you for a very specific right. task. And then I'm going to hinge you home. <laughs> right. So ironically, it's like exactly. what, what Stark has that, that Strange doesn't is the restraint, which is a complete – it was mm. hilarious to think about Tony Stark having restraint because he's all excess. But he really does. At right. the end of the day, he's able to be able to draw the line and not let Peter cross it. Let me just – he shut mm-hmm. – you know, he shut, he shut the suit down before. He shut all of it down and sent the boy home. And mm. – um, if 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 Stark were still alive, well, you wouldn't have a movie because Stark ain't letting. You know what I mean? He's he's not letting Strange, you know, right. do all the stuff that happens. Yeah. So, but there's con- there's consequences. To I mean, to your earlier point though, Doctor Strange, the upcoming Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. We are from what we can guess based on the trailers. There's consequences that are going to occur based right. on what he did right. in No Way Home. And so, what is that? To me, the question is, and this gets back to your issues. I think this gets to one of your core issues with the multiverse is the usage of it as a storytelling tool. In other words, why are we, what are the, first of all, what are those consequences going to be? And is, are the result of those consequences and Strange's reckoning with those consequences, is that going to be some meaningful storytelling or is it going to be like this visual extravagance of just, you know, incredible you know like we've seen in the trailers of him traveling through Mm -hmm. these different multi-universes and just incredible we saw a little bit of in no way home but just you know wild just wild shit happening i think i think that's kind of at the core one of your core concerns correct me if i'm wrong with the yeah it's one of the core concerns what is what is this thing why are we doing this you know why are we why are we playing around with this multiverse this uh this this concept is that that fair to say and you know to answer that question that you're presumably asking me, I think it's because we need a new big bad. 
Thanos has been mm. beaten. And Thanos was a driver for definitely the, the phase two of the MCU, um, but also elements of phase one. But we need a new big bad that the universe can unite against, that these new mm-hmm. Avengers, uh, with Peter Parker as a de, a de facto leader that we saw in um, Far From Home and Nick mm-hmm. Fury's interaction with Peter Parker, um, need to band together you know, to fight. Um, I think that, I believe that the next strange movie is going to be a bridge to getting to the new big bad. I don't, I don't think that we're, and and frankly, I think it's going to be Kang the Conqueror that we saw at Mm -hmm. the, at the end of Loki, he who remains. Um, I believe that uh, Jonathan Majors is going to return to the role. I, I don't think that he's, I wonder if he's going to be an in credit sequence in, 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 in this strange movie, but I believe he's supposed to appear in the next Ant-Man, mm-hmm. but I think he's going to be the new big bad. Um, and I think that we need this multiverse as storytelling as a vehicle to get to him. I, okay. So I'm, I want to read you something before I read that. Though, I'll just say that you may be right. And I hope you're wrong though, because to me that that's not as interesting to me, you know, just to use the multiverse in order to get, you know, to use multiverse theory in order to get to something like that, which is basically a, not so much something meaningful or whatever. It's just basically a, um, kind of, I guess it's the bigger picture Mm -hmm. view, like how, you know, for almost like a business decision, you know, how are we going to, we had Thanos. Now we need another big bad for this next 10 years of movies or whatever. So that's not as interesting, but I want to read you something really quickly. This is a quote. I was just reading an article, um, about Michael Moorcock. Now, Michael Moorcock, for those of you who don't know, is a, a incredibly prolific and iconic writer of um, quote-unquote science fantasy or her- heroic fiction. Um, his most, uh, probably his most famous creation is Elric um, in the Elric series. Um, but he's, you know, Quorum, Hawkmoon, mm-hmm. um, all these, I mean, just, just incredibly, every genre you can imagine he's written in um, and mm-hmm. still writing and has been doing so since the early late fifties, early sixties. So this is a quote, and you know, Michael Moorcock can arguably be arguably be called the, the inventor of this whole multiverse thing, because it was in his, he and other writers were toying around with this idea of the multiverse, um, in the early sixties, um, and Elric and those, these, uh, the, uh, the, the eternal champion mm-hmm. series all revolve around this idea of traveling between these different universes and how this eternal champion exists in within each universe. Um, so anyway, I definitely encourage you if you're interested in that to do more research on Michael Moorcock and his writings, but this is a, this is a kind of a, just a couple of two lines from this um, article I was reading a couple of lines out of this article I reading, um, I was reading. So Michael Moorcock says the multiverse theory allows you lots and lots of universes. So you don't actually ever lose the universe. You don't lose memory, which is one of the things that people are afraid of. It's in our instincts. It's in our DNA. We can't afford to lose. We can't afford to lose memory. Excuse me. Then he says, anyway, my point about the multiverse is that it is a metaphysical response, not a physical response. I made it up as a physical thing, as a response to metaphysical Mm -hmm. concerns. So what he's saying and what I got out of that is that, you know, just to relate it to what's happening, what we were just talking about with Dr. Strange and with Spider-Man No Way Home 
if you're going to use the multiverse as a tool to kind of like explore metaphysical um, uh, uh, narratives or metaphysical concerns, that to me is very interesting. In No Way Home, we saw Spider-Man just to kind of echo the Obi-Wan conversation we're having F up on a supreme mm-hmm. level. You know what I'm saying? He, he, I, I'm going to say it. I may did not have to mm-hmm. die. You know, her death in that movie was even harder to me, hard, more hardcore than uncle Ben's, you know, um, death of, of, mm-hmm. uh, of lore. You know, it's because that death, uncle Ben is kind of like, yeah, Spider-Man could have stopped that guy who ran past him and ended up killing uncle Ben. But it was like he had no way of knowing that that dude was going to end right. up shooting his uncle. Right. You know what I'm saying? There's right. no way he could have known that. In this instance, Doctor Strange <laughs> literally tells him bad bleep is going to happen mm-hmm. if you do this, that mm-hmm. you can't do mm-hmm. this. You know, the path that you're going will mess up. You ha- you're you messing with things that you should, no one should mess with. Me, you, nobody should mess with. Them. Only bad things can happen. Not only does Peter decide to not follow that advice. Mm-hmm. And go with this whole, you know, which to be fair, I may support it. Go through this whole, you know, as a, I have to do what's right no mm-hmm. matter what thing. No, in, in, you know, in actuality, he's doing what's wrong, but he's like, I have to do this. Not only does he do that, he puts everybody he yeah. knows in danger. He puts his aunt, his friends, the woman he loves, right point blank, mm-hmm. like front line mm-hmm. danger. And so when I may dies, man, I was just, I was sitting on the couch like, whoa. Like that didn't have to happen. Like that's a real, that's something really hard for him. How is he ever yeah. going to get past that? So to use the multiverse to, you know, to, 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 um, propel that narrative and to explore what's going to happen immediately after that, you know, and then of course the choice that Peter makes to wipe himself out of everybody's memory, all that stuff, that was fascinating, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and I think it is, it sets up, you know, this next um, the next era of his stories, I think in a very interesting, in a very interesting place. So just to kind of like build on what Michael Moorcock said, I think the multiverse is very useful when you're dealing with these metaphysical, metaphysical mm-hmm. concerns and these, the existentialism of it all, all these things, but just to be using it because we got to find a new big bad for our you know universe. That's why I'm kind of like hesitant and I'm with you. Like when you, when it's Arthur versus the multiverse, sometimes I'm on the multiverse side. Sometimes I'm on Arthur's side. You know, I always got your back. You know, if it comes down to it, you know, I, I got your back. But sometimes I flip sides. And when, the re, when I'm on your side, I'm on your side now because it's like I'm I'm afraid that I'm going to go see Doctor Strange. And it's just going to be like this extravaganza of Doctor Strange and Wanda, mm-hmm. Scarlet Witch, doing all these incredible things in the multiverse. But it's not going to have that weight or that meaning that I got out of No Way Home. That's a fear. I'm, But I'll go into it with an open mind because hopefully they will, you know, be able to pull off. um some of those things. And to be fair, the first Dr. Strange movie I thought was great in the sense that the thematic um, exploration of, of strange and his ego and the fact that, you know, like the ancient one tells him it's not about you. Mm -hmm. You know, that was just that, you know, in time and how important time is and all those things. Just, I thought, I thought it was brilliant in the first movie. So hopefully they'll be able to do that in this movie, but any more before we move on, what else, where do you stand, Arthur, with the multiverse right now? Are you, do you need a round three? Are you kind of like in between rounds and you're kind of like looking across the ring, like wondering if the multiverse is going to stand back up again? Or do you have more fight in you? How do you feel about the multiverse? Well, right I'm still a staunch uh, opponent of the multiverse. I understand its use. And if properly used, it can provide benefit. Um, I really like what they did in the Miles Morales Spider-Verse 
story. Um, but I do feel that it can be misused to just sort of, you know, make somebody alive again or just resolve some, <laughs> you know, wrote, right. wrote, you know, the writer room wrote themselves into a corner. Well, fuck it. Multiverse. It could be a crutch. Yeah. So, all right, let's move on, man, with this, the headliner. Um, so there, I'm, I'm guessing there will be a Arthur versus the multiverse part three. So look out for that. Um, cause it doesn't look like, it. especially if, if, uh, Dr. Strange goes sideways, I'm assuming that you'll be the mic, the mic will be hot. <laughs> you'll be ready to go, um, right after you watch that film. So we'll see. Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, let's get into, um, our final segment and the headliner top five Batman films. So, HBO, Arthur said in the cold opening, HBO Max, um, by this, by the time this episode comes out, the Batman, um, Matt Reeves as the Batman, uh, will have hit HBO Max. So I'm assuming that, yeah, a lot of people who had, who didn't see the movie, even though the movie is made, I think close to 800 million globally. Um, so a lot of people have seen this movie, but for those of you who have not seen the movie yet, you've either watched it by now or this weekend, maybe you're planning on finally sitting down and watching the Batman. So in honor of that, yeah, let's. We kind of talked about this over text messages, but we wanted to kind of go ahead and make it official um, and just break down our top five Batman films. The only asterisk being they have to be theatrically released. There's a lot of Batman films that just go straight to VOD, DVD, Blu-ray, whatever. Um, so we're only doing theatrically, theatrically, it's theatrically. hard word to say, theatrically released films. Um, so Arthur, we're going to go five through one. You're going to go first, name your five, then I'll name my five. You know, we'll be talking about it. But you name your five and then, you know, your number five and then I'll, we'll talk about it. I'll name my number five, talk about it. And then we'll go to number four, so on and so forth. So to kick things off, Arturius Maximus, what is your, and spoiler alert for any Batman film ever, <laughs> <laughs> period. Um, Arthur, what's your number five out of your top five Batman films, theatrically released Batman films of all time? What is your number five? That would be Batman Mask of the Phantasm, uh, animated film released to theaters December the 25th, Christmas Day uh, in 1993. Um, I, I sometimes don't like animated versions of um, comic book characters sort of like in this kind of this it, it, it's like it doesn't really follow what I know the the regular um, plot points you know to be this film introduced uh, a couple new characters to me most notably uh, Andrea Beaumont who uh, Bruce Wayne ends up proposing marriage to um she accepts his proposal only to uh, end the engagement uh, by writing a letter. And um, it, it, there's also the, the antagonist, the phantasm, um, who's this, this uh, mysterious phantom type figure who, you know, is murdering a series of gangsters. Whose identity we actually won't. Speak. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you said that because I was getting ready to. Let's cause only because I think this is probably a movie a lot of people haven't seen. So let's let's not yeah. And this is this is an actual yeah. yeah, so we won't spoil that. I will talk okay. more about it. Um, but what I will spoil is that the Joker makes an appearance and the Joker is voiced by Mark Hamill. Was that a surprise to you? It actually was. It actually okay, was. Okay, so you you're not a fan, you haven't watched the Batman the animated no, series. No, I actually haven't. Okay. I know you've been telling me to do that, uh, time and time again. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, since it's I met been you. a while. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> but decades. but you know, I I I I was pleasantly surprised by it uh, at the time. I did like how it kind of um, leaned into the the Art Deco um, Gothic esque architecture and set designs that we'd seen before, mm-hmm. but most recently at that time was Tim Burton's Batman films. So yeah, that's my number five. Okay. So that's your number five. My number five, speaking of Batman 1989, that is my number five. And I applaud your, your, your number five Batman mask of the phantasm. Um, yeah, we may or may not be talking more about that, but I applaud that one. Uh, my number five, Batman 1989. Um, not the OG. There was a Batman 1966 mm-hmm. film. Um, but you know, in terms of the big screen, Batman hadn't been on the big screen in a very long time. Um, and then comes this, you know, hugely anticipated, you know, kind of on the heels of the whole Batman renaissance mm-hmm. of the late eighties, um, which to me, I think you can really credit dark Knight returns and mm-hmm. Batman year one, um, maybe the killing joke, um, the comic book series, series of series that came out. In the late eighties, um, Frank Miller, David Mazzuchelli, um, uh, uh, Alan Moore, um, you know, that those, those books to me kind of like spurred the, the kind of, uh, return of Batman into the zeitgeist. Batman never left the public conscious, but I think that the, that version of Batman is a serious character because for the mainstream, they kind of viewed him through the solely through the lens of the Mm sixties television show. Um, and some of the cartoons, you know, and so when that kind of happened in the late eighties, you kind of got a more serious return of Batman into the public consciousness, into the mainstream, the people who didn't read the comics and didn't know that that had always been Batman. Um, so yeah, so Batman, 1989, Tim Burton, um, you had Jack Nicholson, Michael Keaton, Kim Basinger, uh, Billy D, Billy D Williams, um, Michael Goh, Jack Palance, you know, so it was just a hugely, very, um, stylish, stylistic mm-hmm. movie. Um, most of it, I think shot on a back lot, um, built sets. They looked very industrial Gothic, um, very much Tim Burton's vision, you know, of what mm-hmm. Gotham and Batman were, um, mixed in with those dark Knight elements from, like I said, some of those comics that I just mentioned. Um, Jack Nicholson gives a great, you know, great performances as the Joker. Um, Kim Basinger is a good Vicky Vale. I think Michael Keaton, I've always said this, I, I dove into this, um, on an episode we did a year or two ago, Michael Keaton, I've all, I loved him as Bruce Wayne. I've always had issues or kind of like accepting him mm-hmm. as, as Batman. Um, because coming out of the comics, I just had a different perception. And I think a lot of people did. Um, at that time, of course, of what Batman, the physicality of Batman and, you know, Michael Keaton at that time, it was really primarily yeah. known as a comedian. Um, and so it was just, you know, and I, I talked to earlier on the episode about how, you know, my, I think I was late, I was early teens or preteen at that point, And I remember going to see a kind of a sneak preview trailer thing of him, of the, of the, the movie, I think even the year before it came out. Um, at some comic book store in the back mm-hmm. room of some comic book store and just, you know, the reaction of just seeing Michael Keaton. And it was like, mm, I don't know about that, you know? So in the movie, I was very much, you know, on point enthralled with, um, you know, Bruce Wayne and the kind of the, the overall mood of the yeah. movie and the style of the movie. 
Um, not so much by Batman himself, um, but I love Jack Nicholson and so on and so forth. So just, it, it was, it was a really good movie. I think it's, it's moved up on my list. Actually, it was probably, you know, seven or eight, mm-hmm. you know, it was a couple of years ago. Um, but it's moved up to five. Um, so it's, it's something that I revisit every Let me once ask, a while it, and enjoy. Who would you have wanted to play Bruce Wayne instead of Michael Keaton? That's hard to say because I can't, I, you know, going back to 1989, I can't remember who was, you know, I mean, like other than Tom Cruise, it's hard for you know, definitely. Yeah. It wouldn't have been Tom Cruise. It wouldn't have been, you know, Mm -hmm. Stallone Mm -hmm. or anybody. I can't, I can't remember. It would have been, it would have been whoever the the Christian Bale of that era was, you know, someone who could pull off, you know, that the, this, the Bruce Wayne that I think Michael Keaton did an excellent job of but also embody some of the physicality and the mm-hmm. edge, mm-hmm. the danger, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like we've, we, you and I have talked about before how Christian Bale just kind of has a, a deadliness to him, you know, at times, um, not just in his body, but in his eyes, his glare, you know, he has that, that force about him. So I, I would have wanted somebody like that. Um, but I can't remember who, who was around back then. Um, but you know, I, I really enjoy this film. It is sometimes, you know, I did feel it was a little bit too, too stylist, um, too over, you know, form mm-hmm. over function, you know, at times, um, some things about the, I love the Batmobile with some things that it did. I was like, wow, mm-hmm. that was, you know, <laughs> that was really a movie moment instead of a practical moment. Even, I guess even back then I was more into the practical stuff mm-hmm. than I was into the, you know, the, the, uh, stylistic stuff. Um, but that's my number five. Uh, uh, and, and again, we should say these top, this top five, you know, for both of us, these are all great movies. It's, you know, we're talking about a top five list. Yeah. So these are all movies we love. Arthur, what is your number four um, on your top five Batman films? Of uh, the time? movie that what we're talking about, four? 1989's Batman. Um, okay. I, you know, let me say, I, I, I was, I, I, I I'm going to read, I'm going to kind of edit that a little bit, all those eyes. <laughs> <laughs> You're conflicted over this Yeah, movie, I'm a little conflicted <laughs> over it because um, I really am trying to remember what I felt in, you know, in real time over the reaction of knowing that Michael Keaton was, was playing Bruce Wayne. Um, I don't remember having a problem with it. Um, I didn't necessarily see it as out of place. I think on the whole, because Batman is my favorite comic book character, um, my number one kind of shifts a lot, but Batman and Spider-Man are usually mainstays for me in that way. But, um, Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a huge Prince fan, so I was really excited about the Prince tie-in to it, that he was doing the what I thought was the soundtrack, but it turned out to be you know music in the film. Um, I really disagreed with how the music was placed. I think it was underused. Oh, yeah. Yes. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, and really. um, yeah. I do agree with some of the, uh, the cliche um, aspects of the film. Like, for example, Joker's gang, they all had these satin jackets with the classic <laughs> 60s Joker head on them. It seemed a little on yeah. the nose. Um, I had issues <laughs> with the origin story of the Joker with Jack Nicholson falling into a vat of acid and not only surviving, you know, only <laughs> being maimed in that his form was was fixed into, you know, a smile. Um, mm-hmm. I thought his, his pursuit of Vicky Vale was weird at best. <laughs> Um, and yeah, there were the parade mm-hmm. at the end, you know, there were a lot of issues with it, um, but it balanced out mm-hmm. but I with a lot of coolness of it, of it. Yes, you know, yes, the Batcave, um, the Batmobile, mm-hmm. um, the plane. Um, I thought that Bruce Wayne's wit 
was something that was very mm. different than the way Adam West had played Batman in the sixties television show. Um, mm -hmm. And I thought that, that Michael Keaton as a dramatic actor, cause I think that was the first film, like I had not seen Beetlejuice, but I knew enough to know that Beetlejuice was a popular film and that Michael Keaton was getting a lot of accolades for it. I was, I, I liked the broodiness of his Bruce Wayne. Um, even though there was still not necessarily slapstick, but there was still a certain carefree aspect of Batman that we didn't get until years later with the more serious films. And speaking specifically of the Nolan trilogy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think that's fair. I, I do, you know, Jack Nicholson in particular, they did kind of get into caricature a lot with his, his Joker, but then there are those incredible moments, you know, um, after the, the art museum fiasco, he just, you know, that I love that moment. Just, you know, where, where does he get mm -hmm. those wonderful mm -hmm. toys? You know, it's like, that's just pure Joker to me. And, you know, um, you know, bat, whatever winged freak, you know, and then yeah. where do they get a load yeah. of me? You know, it's like, that's, that's forever and like ingrained mm -hmm. on my, in my brain mm -hmm. as far as who the Joker is. Um, so yeah, I, I, I agree with you though. I think that there, despite those, those little kind of like nitpicks, I think that overall is just the stylism of that film really, really worked. Um, all right. My number four, we haven't had any, I think real surprises. Maybe you're a mask of the phantasm is a inclusion kind of surprise to people, but we, we really haven't had any real surprises. So I'm about okay. to drop one right now though. My number four is Christopher Nolan's the dark Knight. Damn. <laughs> That's Damn. my number four. What happened? I'm sure. What happened to if you? If not you, I'm sure most people. <laughs> I'm sure most beautiful. people have the Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm sure most people have the Dark Knight is probably their number one or number two. Um, sure, but let me explain. Mm -hmm. I love the Dark Knight. I think it's. I think it's. An, it's. It's a great film. Um, it arrived at the perfect time. Um, let's just go ahead and get out of the way. Heath Ledger's performance, um, as the Joker, there's two, there's three great jokers to me, Heath Ledger, um, and like I just mentioned, Jack Nicholson and then Mark Hamill, mm -hmm. you know, those are like the jokers in my, the, the live action or animated slash animated jokers. Those are the jokers that kind of like inhabit my mind when I think of the Joker. And so Heath Ledger just, you couldn't mm -hmm. have asked for a better performance, mm -hmm. you know, what he did with that, um, with that character all the way from the, from the first time we see him, which is, um, his back, you know, we see his back on the corner of, uh, in that, that downtown, you know, which is essentially mm -hmm. the loop Chicago loop, but it was in Gotham city and you see him standing on the corner and the camera like just comes in on his back and he's just like hunched standing there, like, and, kind of like yeah. slumped shoulders, <clears throat> hunched over. And just waiting for his ride, but in an almost like a evil meditative state. I just, I, I love it. I love it. And um, mm -hmm. Christian Bale, I think, is perfect um, as both Bruce Wayne yeah, he's and the perfect Batman. Balance in this film. So far, he was the perfect balance. He was, you know, he and he he inhabited kind of the um, the Bruce Wayne, the very serious Bruce Wayne who was putting mm -hmm. on the Playboy front. He inhabited that very well, uh, symbolized perfectly when he's he has the glass of wine that he carries out onto the balcony of the party. And he just immediately tosses mm. the wine mm -hmm. away because right. he doesn't drink, you know, but he has the wine mm -hmm. in his hand as a prop, you know. Um, and then, you know, the physicality of the film it, it, when he turns, when he is Batman, 
um, is very believable. You see the scars on his back. You see him wrestling with the moral issues. You see him trying to use his um, money and power and access to kind of like further his his um, goals and ambitions um, in terms of what he wants to do for Gotham City as the Batman. So all these things combined with some big, big wow moments, you know, wow. When the, uh, when he goes to Hong Kong and jumps off of the, the, the skyscraper yeah. and soars, you know, it's just like a huge IMAX wow moment. Wow. When the bat pod jumps out of the bat, mm-hmm. out of the tumbler, you know, and it's like, what the, f- and you know, that thing mm-hmm. is going sideways, mm-hmm. you know, it comes out of the alley and then just comes to a stop that in the theater Mm -hmm. everybody lost their minds it was like Mm -hmm. what is happening right now you know what I'm saying and then goes up a wall flips on back I remember when we were in the theater we saw that together in the theater when that happened you elbowed me so hard (laughs) that was a classic elbow that was a classic I can't believe the shit that I'm watching elbow Um, probably only probably up there with the uh, uh, Thor landing in uh, Uh uh, Wakanda Mm -hmm. elbow you know those are two famous elbows so it's, you know, the Dark Knight is just it's just a hugely um, satisfying, you know, piece of Batman, you know, movie. It's just it's incredible. Why is it number four? Well, I'll get to my top three. That'll explain why why more. But I will say here that the third act slash mm-hmm. fourth act of this film is what drags mm-hmm. it down on the list to me, because here we have this moral kind of dilemma played out on those two yeah. boats. You remember at the end? Um, where, you know, one boat, if we hit this, it'll kill mm-hmm. y'all, all these people mm-hmm. on the other boat, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, but it'll save us. And Joker trying to prove, you know, that, you know, how his, his theories of chaos and how people are just animal, you know, all that stuff. Joker's time. Very interesting, especially when he explained it to, um, mm-hmm. Harvey Dent at the hospital when he, he goes through his, his explanation, when, uh, Joker explains why he's an agent, a agent of chaos. But then when we get to the boats, I just, I, it just drags, man. And it gets mm-hmm. very didactic to me. And then when you get to the Harvey Dent part where Harvey is, um, his story basically begins, you know, the two Face story begins in the third act and needs to get wrapped up within that third act too. So everything just extends and extends and extends. And I think, you know, and obviously these are nitpicks mm-hmm. because this is a great movie. Um, but yeah, to, I think that was probably just something that, you know, brought it down further on my number, my top five list, which is to say really, just it's still great it's just not as great great as some of these other mm-hmm. ones but it's still great so that's that's why it's my number four so my, my number three is the what the six week old batman the batman with robert pattinson mm. um mm. we talked about this uh in our reaction episode um a few weeks ago and uh i really do enjoy this batman in fact my list was reordered and I think there are many other people's lists I, I'd listened to a couple of shows where their re- lists were reordered in order to insert this one um, mm, yeah and it, it it starts off my top three um, because of the the way that this film this Batman could individualize itself in the midst of the overwhelming shadow of the Nolan trilogy. So it's like, how do you differentiate yourself? So you make the Riddler a frightening figure, which the Riddler has not been presented in that way 
you know, before. Yeah. I mean, the last last action Mm -hmm. was Jim Carrey, you know, in a mask and a question mark green bodysuit. This Riddler is very, very different from that. It 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 had it had a a real a real, you know, serial killer tone to it. And I know we talked about how there's some similarities with the film Seven, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, David Fincher's film. Um I think that um the way that Pattinson's Wayne builds his own Batmobile. Um, and the Batmobile is presented as almost a stock car. Um, so, you know, there was some, right. there was some real cues. Um, Zoe Kravitz's performance as Selena Kyle um, was done very well. And, um, you know, even with, even with the similarities of other stories, which again, I don't think this film could escape. Um, came off pretty it came off pretty well well i think we've achieved um singularity that's your number three because uh-huh. the batman is my number three as well i'm one of those people who had to reorder my list because of this this film i've seen this movie mm-hmm. three times mm-hmm. in the theater and part of that i have to admit part of that is because and we're running late on time so we're running short on time so i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna be quick as quick as i can but Part of that is because over the last two years, I'd only seen one film. I'd only been in the yeah. theater one time prior to the Batman. Mm-hmm. That was no no time to die. Other than that, I had not been in theater for th- two years. So I was kind of itching to get back. I, I missed that theater experience, right? Not necessarily the people. We talked about that. I don't like people. I don't mm-hmm. like being in the theater with people. <laughs> I like seeing movies uh-huh. on the big screen. I like mm-hmm. hearing things explode, big, loud noises. Um, I like even the intimate scenes, you know, hearing the whisper of somebody's voice, but it's a loud whisper because mm-hmm. it's all around me. I like that, you know. So uh, this, you know, I wanted to see this movie. The first time I saw it, I said, you know, we we recorded our episode after the first time both of us saw it. And we both said yeah. we got to go see this movie again because it's so much to wrap your mind around. That's why I saw it a second time. The third time I saw it was just because I needed to mm. soak it up again from a the- theatrical, you know, um, point of view before I, I would watch it at home. So, the, but I have to say, man, the second time I saw this movie, as much as I liked it the first time, which you can go mm-hmm. back and listen to that episode, last episode that Arthur and I did, um, as much as I liked it, I really liked it. Like I liked it mm-hmm. a lot more mm-hmm. the second time. Like it really hit me. And I think that's because I opened myself up and kind of went into it as if, as much as I could, as if I had never mm-hmm. even heard of Batman. Mm-hmm. In other words, what if this was just a dude who put on a suit? a bat suit and was, you know, doing these things, what, what would a movie about him be like, you know? And I approached it that way. And it was like, I really was able to soak up the detective story. I was able to soak up more of Bruce Wayne's um, yeah. presence within the film. Cause that was one of my issues. The first time I watched it, that issue was resolved a lot more. Mm-hmm. the second time I saw it, um, I understood more why he was being, why Pattinson and why Reeves had, you know, positioned him that way in the film. Um, and I just, I just, I just loved it a lot more. It's, it's, it is a detective movie. It is a film that, you know, you're really following Batman and Batman in particular, but really mm-hmm. Batman and Gordon, um, as they, you know, and, and Selena, um, as they uncover these, these, these clues and kind of itch close, inch closer to who we already know is the mm-hmm. killer. We know it's the Riddler. Um, and then they kind of, you know, Selena and Batman are uncovering this whole thing about, um, uh, Falcone. 
there's one big thing, man, that, you know, because I could talk, to be honest with you, I've in, I've grown to love this movie so much that I could probably spend another two hours just talking about it. But because of time, there's one thing I want to zero in on, and that's a key difference. And uh, let me let me say this just from the, the outset, because like you, I've heard a lot of other podcasts mm-hmm. talk about this movie and I've been on Twitter. And it ultimately, like I said before, I think I said this last episode, there does seem to be that pick and choose type, you know, mentality among people, which blows. I don't understand. It's like people have to say, which do they like Nolan's universe mm-hmm. or this universe better? Mm-hmm. You don't have to like you. I love the fact that both of them mm-hmm. are so different, you know, that we got two very different takes on Batman, which is huge because now like with bond, you can do different things with Batman, put different actors in that role, see how, you know, different ways to interpret the story. Um, what, what Daniel Craig, what Casino Royale did for Bond to me, this Batman Mm -hmm, did for mm -hmm. Batman. In other words, it brought a completely different view on Mm -hmm. it that I wasn't expecting. Um, and I think that's powerful. So, but one thing, one, one key difference between this, between, um, Robert Pattinson's Batman and Christian, Christian Nolan's bat or Christian Nolan, Christian Bale's Batman that I think is really interesting. Pattinson's Batman in this film. And I didn't really key in on it till, um, the second viewing, how naive mm. he is, how, you know, privileged he is in the sense of, and Zoe Kravitz kind of calls him out on it. Um, Catwoman, I should say, Selena Kyle, Kyle calls him out on it, but just how he doesn't understand that for two years, he's just been beating up on people and not understanding why mm-hmm. it's not making a difference. That's a mm-hmm. huge mm-hmm. part of this movie. You know, the fact that he does not look at the power structure of Gotham until the Riddler forces him to, you know, and the Riddler who is arguably trying to achieve some of the same things that mm-hmm. Batman is trying to achieve, which is why the Riddler thinks that they're mm-hmm. working together. He does. He opens Batman's eyes up. He mm-hmm. opens Pattinson's eyes up to things that he mm-hmm. never even has seen before, which is very key. And I think the difference between, you know, the, the thing that Christian Bale's Batman did when we see him and Batman begins go off and train for, you know, seven years, eight mm-hmm. years, however long he was gone he learns a couple things. One thing, like we talked about before, he definitely learns that misdirection and theatricality, mm-hmm. how important they are, you know, in the, in the dark arts, he learns that um, from Rajal Ghul, which is why he, when he comes back to Gotham, he immediately knows he can't be, you know, brooding Bruce Wayne. He can't be Batman 24 mm-hmm. seven. He knows that even though Arthur, or Arthur, um, Alfred has to remind him of that a couple of times, you know, he has to tell him like, look, people are going to start asking about all these damn yeah. injuries you got, you know, we have to think of something. So, but he, but Christian Bale is further along than mm-hmm. Robert Pattinson's Batman. Mm-hmm. You know, he's further along. Also key. Remember when Christian Bale leaves, he doesn't take anything with him and he has to live hand to mouth. He talks about how he had to, um, he tells Raz al Ghul mm-hmm. how he had to steal in order to, mm-hmm. to, to feed himself. And eventually he just became a full fledged criminal. You know, he's, he's mm-hmm. dealing on the black market, so stolen goods. Some of them being Wayne tech goods, He's out there, you know, as Robert Pattinson is calling these people the element (laughs) at the beginning of the Batman and Batman begins. Christian Bale has Mm -hmm. become a part of this element, you know, in order to not only to live and eat, but also to understand criminality Mm -hmm. and why people commit crimes. Because that when he comes back to Gotham, he's already starting to there's that scene where he's sitting on the floor and he's piecing together the power structure of Gotham, not just criminals, Mm -hmm. quote unquote criminals. But real criminals, mm-hmm. you know, politicians, the people in the mayor's office, the corrupt cops, you know, he's got all this stuff laid out because he knows I can't just go out here and just beat on people in an alleyway mm-hmm. and think that's going to do something. 
most of those people are out here committing crimes because they got no other choice. You know, he understands that because he mm-hmm. himself has lived that life. Robert mm-hmm. Pattinson hasn't lived that life. Robert Pattinson's Batman hasn't lived that life or excuse me, Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne has lived that life. That's a key mm-hmm. difference between these two films. And I think that I, I kind of appreciate Matt Reeves take on this because it starts us instead of starting us out where Christopher, uh, Christian Bale's Batman started out. This Batman starts out in a mm-hmm. much more naive place and it opens up the door for more storytelling, which is why you get that great opening. Um, cause, and again, I love the, the, you know, the Christian Bale route. I'm not mm-hmm. even, I, I love that route, but I'm saying the, the creating something different opens up the door for new storytelling. And we get that great opening scene where essentially it's like a comic book panel where you see the, the captions and you seeing what, what Robert Pattinson's Batman is thinking, mm-hmm. you know, they think I'm in the shadows. Mm-hmm. I am the shadow. It's like, that's mm-hmm. pure Batman stuff, you know, but all of it is spoken out of this place of night, night, um, night, naivety. How you say the word, Arthur? Naivete. Naivete, <laughs> whatever. Ignorance. <laughs> it's, uh-huh. it's spoken out of ignorance because he doesn't understand the element and all these people he's fighting. He mm-hmm. doesn't get it yet. And throughout this movie, we see him, his eyes are opened by the Riddler, by Catwoman, mm-hmm. you know, by his experiences. And it's great, man. It's, it's really, really good. Um, so, yeah, Batman is number three on my list for that reason. All right. We got to move more quickly. Um, no number problem. two. Number two, number two, Arthur? 2005's Batman Begins, the beginning of the mm. Nolan trilogy. I This was the first Batman film that I had seen where I was afraid of Batman, where Batman was full on scary. And... Mm. I had not been familiar with um, the Dark Knight and Dark Knight Returns or year one um, graphic novels. I knew them by name, but I had not I had not read them. So I was really, really drawn in to the idea of Bruce Wayne as a ninja. He only needed to walk in a room with a utility belt. I get why Batman is as dangerous as he is. And it was. I mean, the greatest origin story I'd ever seen on screen for a superhero. Yeah, ditto. <laughs> ditto. Um, I'll, okay, so my number two, Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, wow, Batman, really Mask high. Mask of the Phantasm, which was your uh-huh. number five. Yeah, really, really high. I love this movie, man. I watched it again last night. Um, yeah, so I, I love this movie. It's only, it's listen, it's an hour and, I thought it was longer. It's an mm-hmm. hour and 16 mm-hmm. minutes. It's a very short film. Um, like you said, it was released Christmas, uh, on 1993, which was uh, 30 years ago, Arthur. I remember seeing this movie. I think I've told the story. Um, you know, I saw this movie on Christmas day. Um, and I've loved it ever since it's, it's really a, a perfect piece of bat. It's, it's a perfect film. There's really nothing wrong with this movie. I can't really say anything. If I had to nitpick, I would say that there's something, there's one person's abilities who aren't really explained, like how this person is mm-hmm. able to do certain things. That's like a severe nitpick. Other than that, this is like a perfect exploration of the choices that Bruce Wayne had to make. Um, the ones that were put in front of him. And there's a wonderful scene where he's pleading with the the memory of his mm-hmm. parents, essentially mm-hmm. um, to release him from this vow that he's, he's made to them, you know, to, to avenge them. He's he's pleading with them to allow him to, um, to experience something he didn't expect, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. happiness, you know, and it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's multi-layered. 
it's um the animation style is very I, I love the animation style is very it's basically the Batman the animated series on screen on a bigger screen um so you have that like you mentioned the the art yeah. deco style mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. noir um s aspect of it um very you know parts of it definitely look like a 1940s you know um Sam Spade you know uh, uh Humphrey Bogart film um, and then there's, you know, the great opening with the operas. I mean, it's almost like operatic. Um, you're hearing the the voices and then they're traveling through the the skyscrapers of Gotham. I, I love this movie. I absolutely love this movie. Mark Hamill's um, Joker is is perfect. There's nothing. It's like from the, the voice, the laugh, yeah. the one liners, everything is perfect. And the way he shows up in this film, um, not as the he's not the primary villain. Um, and he just shows up in a way that's kind of unexpected. But gels with the the overall story perfectly um i keep using perfect to describe this because i can't really think of another word um i highly highly recommend batman mask and the mask of the phantasm um not only one of the great batman stories period but one of the great batman love stories um, period all right here it is let's do it arthur arturius maximus i think everybody knows but let's hear it what's your number one batman film theatrically yeah no surprises this is dark knight from 2008 and um to only add to what we had already talked about it a lot of it does lay at the feet of of heath ledger's uh performance um of the joker um the joker as uh you know in in a, a really intelligent really calculating really think it through kind of guy <laughs> Chaos. Exactly. Organized exactly. chaos. Um, yeah. Something else about The Dark Knight, though, was uh, Michael Caine's portrayal of Alfred and talking to Bruce about, you know, here you are going after the mob, making a difference. What did you expect them to do in reaction? <laughs> right. <laughs> what did in their you desperation, they turned to a man they did not fully understand. Uh, Bruce, what does this guy want? What is, you know, what is it that I can hang over him that I can attack to make the Joker, you know, stop? Where can I get the upper hand? And Michael Caine tells him the story about the man who just wants to see the world burn. Yeah. Great piece of writing. And um, Lucius Fox making all the gadgets, Mm -hmm. you know, the way that Nolan sort of told you how he got all of his stuff. Yeah, he's a billionaire. Yeah, he's got Mm -hmm. all these means and money and everything. But where is he getting the stuff? Those are the kind of detail points that I really did appreciate. I do agree that it does drag uh, toward the end. Um, I was disappointed mm. with the way it ended in terms of the Joker just sort of being suspended upside down. Um, certainly, certainly Ledger's death um, wasn't unexpected, of course. So very likely he would have been continued in number three. In number three, um, yeah. But it was just far outweighed mm-hmm. with the positives, and uh, it just um, mm-hmm. it just worked. It really, really, really worked for me. One of your one of the great analogies you made about, or great points you made about um, the Batman, uh, the Pattinson film. You said um, in that scene where in the at the uh, at the police headquarters, and all the cops are like you know running up on Batman. You said you could never see none of them cops would ever ran no. up on Bale's Batman, <laughs> and I think that's a very it's funny. But it's also apt because Bale had just had a deadliness to him, you know, and I guess maybe it's because we actually saw him train. We know this dude is like he could kill, you know, he could, you know, is as rough and tumble as as Pattinson's Batman is. 
Um, and by the way, I know I, in the last episode, I said I wish the fighting, this, this uh, fight sequences in the Batman portrayed him as faster. I, the second and third time I saw it, you know, I was like, no, this is good. Mm-hmm. He's fast. You know what I'm saying? He's, he, 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 I, I really like the, the choreography, the fight choreography in the Batman. But yeah, there's just the deadliness. Um, it's, and it is, it's far superior than the, than Nolan's, uh, choreography. Um, Reeves is just a better action director. But, the deadliness of Christian Bale, mm-hmm. like you pointed out, he just has that edge to him. Like you just something about him is like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't want to fuck with that dude. You know, so it's like I don't see them run, you know, them rolling up on his Batman the way they yeah. rolled up on uh, Pattinson's Batman. So I love that point you made. All right. I don't think anybody's going to argue with your number one pick. I think probably the majority of people listening, their number one pick is probably the Dark Knight, um, which was why I said for me, it's probably a bit of a shocker for a lot of people for it to be number four on my list. My mm. number one movie, though, Arthur. Right now, who knows? Our you know shit changes. Mm-hmm. Shit may be mm-hmm. different you know, next month. But right now, my number one Batman film of all time, theatrically released, is mm-hmm. Batman mm-hmm. Begins. Mm-hmm. I love this movie. I love all the stuff you talked about about the origin story. He does. I don't think he shows up in the suit till like forty five minutes into mm-hmm. the movie. You know, so all of the origin story, everything that takes place. Um, with mm-hmm. the League of Shadows, you know, I soaked that up so much, man. I love that stuff. I loved the scene where he passes the trial, not by brute force or not by any other type of skill, but with his mind. He basically cuts one of the other guys and tricks mm-hmm. Ra's al Ghul, his mentor, the person who tied him. He tricks him, and it was like mm-hmm. that was so Batman. You know, that was just so of the, you know that just spoke so much about who Batman is. So. then you know seeing him like I said come back to Gotham and not you know take that step of you know having to you know creep around alleys for a couple years he actually you know started attacking the power structure of Gotham which included Mm -hmm. the politicians Mm -hmm. which included you know people that maybe Bruce Wayne would be running around with you know in his circle you know he went after them Um, I love that part I love um, how you know I, I like the chem. You know, I thought that the chemistry between him and Rachel Dawes in this movie was stronger than in the second movie, where in Dark Knight, where um, Maggie Gyllenhaal played the character. But it wasn't super strong. But I, I did appreciate their dynamic. I liked um, the fact that the mob, you know, representation in Batman Begins, how they kind of played him like a, uh, I think it was Maroni um, or was it Falcone? I can't remember. In this, in, in Batman Begins played him kind of like a chump, you know, when he was a kid, when he was Bruce Wayne, the kid, and then he comes back at him as Batman and, and brings him down in his way. I mean, just everything about this movie, man. I yeah. like the scarecrow. Um, I like the fact that Batman doubted himself, mm-hmm. um, you know, when the, when everything goes sideways and he's like, you know, what have I done? You know, I, you know, mm-hmm. what have I done, mm-hmm. Alfred? Mm-hmm. And Alfred has to remind him, you know, of what, you know, the, the, the reasons that he's doing this. And, um, brings his father's statement back to him about picking himself back up. All those things just worked mm-hmm. very well to me, man. And um, to your point, you know, the setting up of the tumbler, the reason for the tumbler, the reason for the wings, you know, mm-hmm. the technology behind it, um, explaining everything. Everything has a practical reason, has a practical, you know, why is this, why is this mm-hmm. there? Well, there's a reason mm-hmm. for that. It's not just there. Um, there's a practicality behind it. Um, you know, does it come in black? The one liners, yeah. you know, all those things. Um, this is just a movie, man. I, it's, it's, it's one of the, if not the best origin stories mm-hmm. I've seen. Um, and it just tied things together for me in such a way that when I saw it in the theater in 2005, I was just really shocked that they actually put 
they brought so much of the comics of those late eighties comics into a film in a real way. Um, that just meant, it meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to me. So that's my number one. So just to recap, um, you go through your, just list your one through five really quickly, just to recap. Uh, sure. So from gosh, one through five. Yeah. Dark Knight, Batman begins the Batman 2022 Batman 1989 and Batman mask of the phantasm. You're right. Yeah, we did have all the same. So my number one, Batman Begins. Number two, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, which is on HBO Max. Go see it right now if you have access to HBO Max. My number three, The Batman 2022, which is also just on HBO, just hit HBO Max this week. Um, all these films are on HBO Max. <laughs> they're all Warner Brothers films. They're all on HBO Max. Um, my, my number four, The Dark Knight. And my number five, Batman 1989. That's it. That's it. All right. This is Arthur. That is Isaac. This has been Mad Unreal. Reach out to us on Twitter. Use the hashtag Mad Unreal. Uh, we want to hear what your top five list is of uh, theatrically released Batman films. What do you think about the multiverse as we move into the new strange movie, which is going to bring back uh, Scarlet Witch, uh, Wanda? Um Gosh, what else did we talk about? Oh, when? We talked about Kenobi. That's coming up in May as well. And we're three shows into, well, four shows by the time of this uh, release of Moon Knight. How's that going for you? You like it? You don't? Uh, Yeah, full lit. We'll see you next show. Peace. Keep it on real. (laughs) 